Amen. As I watched that video for the first time last evening, the thought occurred to me, nothing should be more natural for the people of God than ministries like aftercare. And I say that because as I look out at this room, I see a room full of ex-offenders. I see a room full of people who were once prisoners to the power of sin, who had offended and broken the laws of an eternal God, which is a far more serious crime than breaking the laws of man. And yet here we are in God's recovery program. Amen? Amen. This coming... This coming Saturday morning, as we announced last weekend, very important meeting will be taking place as we continue our search for my successor, as we continue to look for our Joshua. About 50 of our leaders will be meeting with a candidate. He and his wife will be answering questions. He'll be ministering the Word, serving communion to that gathering of people. And then when that is done, they'll all go to separate areas in the church, pray for an hour, and return, and without any discussion, pray what they feel God has put upon their heart or vote what they feel God has put upon their heart by way of a ballot. That was the process that was used 36 years ago when I was called here. It was only 13 people making the decision then. But they prayed for an hour because the purpose of the meeting is not to make a decision. The purpose of the meeting is to discern the decision God has already made. And people praying and then coming and voting what they sense without the influence of further discussion is, we feel, the best way to go about that. So it's obviously a very important meeting for us and for that candidate and his family. So please be in prayer all week long. And be thankful for the men and women who will give their entire Saturday morning to that process. And obviously, next weekend we will announce whether the decision was to keep looking or to extend a call to that particular candidate. Now, have you ever asked yourself, why has God permitted Lucifer's rebellion and humanity's rebellion to play out for such a long time? with such catastrophic results. And when you study prophecy, have you ever asked, why is God going to allow it to get worse before it gets eternally better? Those are good questions. Those are legitimate questions, and I hope to suggest answers to them today. Because today we're returning to our study of the Old Testament book of Daniel, an ancient book with relevant messages for us all. It bears the name of an Israeli who spent the bulk of his life as an exile in ancient Babylon. And the dramatic stories of his experience and his friends' experiences and his equally dramatic visions and prophecies of the future remind us that faith can flourish even when evil appears, appears to have the upper hand. Now, the last chapter we studied together was chapter 7. And that chapter identified the empires that would follow ancient Babylon. And I suspect God revealed them to Daniel in advance because he knew each one of those empires was going to present a unique challenge to Daniel's people, to the people of Israel. And if Daniel and the people of Israel 
knew that God knew all about those things beforehand, that will enable them to hold on to their hope. Chapter 7, as we saw, also reveals an empire in the future, one that still awaits us, one that will usher in the darkest hour of human history and set the stage for Jesus' triumphant return. And it will be a time when God's church will suffer horribly. And the knowledge that God knew all about that moment and that empire before it appears will sustain the hopes of the church in the future. Now, there are five chapters that we haven't studied, chapters 8 through 12. And they essentially give us three different things. They give us further details about those kingdoms and empires behind us and the one that still awaits us. They predict the restoration of Jerusalem many, many years in advance, and they predict what we now know to be the crucifixion of Christ. Think of that. Those things were shown to Daniel centuries before they occurred. And one further thing, they reveal Daniel's understandable struggle to process all this stuff God was showing him about the immediate and far-off future. But none of those things that are revealed in chapters 8 through 12 change the outcomes and the outline that God gave us in chapter 7. And the final chapter, chapter 12, makes this statement, quote, these words are concealed until the end of time, end quote. Now, concealed means concealed, and end of time means end of time. So I doubt we're going to grasp everything in chapters 8 through 12, no matter how frequently we study them. So I'm not going to dig into them in great detail. Instead, I'm going to conclude our study over the next three weeks by highlighting some very important insights that are embedded in these visions and prophecies and narratives, because there is a vital connection between spiritual insight and understanding and confident, enduring faith. To put it briefly, when you know what's going on, it's easier to keep on going. Now, to set the stage, I want to read two excerpts from Daniel 12, the final chapter. One contains a contrast, the other a remarkable promise. Daniel 12.10 says, None of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. And that same chapter, verse 3 says, Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. I'm entitling today's teaching, When Insight is in sight. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to grasp the insights that you have left to us in your inspired, eternal, powerful, life-changing Word. Toward that end, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would enable me to echo your heart and teach your Word faithfully. And I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding so that we can apply it faithfully. And as always, we pray these things for the honor of Christ, the welfare of the church, and the success of the mission you have left to us. And we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as we listen for God's voice together today, may the Lord be with you. 
Daniel's dramatic stories and the equally dramatic prophecies he recorded literally put some essential spiritual insights in plain view. They make it clear that the corruption that surrounds God's people doesn't have to birth compromise within God's people. Because the one who is within us is greater than anyone or anything in the world. Furthermore, he has promised to complete the task that he started in us, our total restoration and recovery. And he has assured us that he can cause any set of cultural or life circumstances to somehow work together for the accomplishment of his ultimate purposes in our lives. Daniel reminds us that no cultural developments, no societal pressures can keep God from fulfilling his desires in us. There is no reason for spiritual compromise. Daniel makes it clear that spiritual compromise is not the inevitable result of strong opposition. It is the inevitable result of inadequate confidence in God. We don't compromise because the opposition seems too big. We compromise when our thoughts of God are too small, when our concepts of God are too small. That's why when believers gather together for preaching and teaching and worship, the focus should always be on how awesome God is rather than how awesome we'd like to think we are. Man-centered preaching produces people who compromise. God-centered preaching produces people who have the confidence that never compromises. The stories and visions of Daniel remind us of something else. Total devotion to God does not require total disengagement from the world. Daniel and his friends were very engaged in the politics and national affairs of Babylon. The truth is, God's people should never totally engage from the world. Why? Because this is our Father's world. He designed it. He called it into being. He established the laws by which it functions. He governs the universe that surrounds it. He keeps it intact by the word of his power. He has assured us he will never allow its destruction. He has assured us he will bring about its complete, enduring, eternal restoration. He has told us it is the internal inher eternal inheritance of his people. It is the eternal address of his church. And God laughs at those who suggest otherwise. All of that to say, God made it clear to his people, this world is our house. This world is our eternal home. And the fact that we currently share it with people who think it's their house and their home doesn't mean that we should essentially abandon it to them. So despite the contentions of those who deny divine creation, despite the earth's current corrupted condition, despite the unrelenting attacks of evil, both supernatural and human, Jesus' followers can and should engage human culture in principled fashion that says, this is our Father's world. We aren't going anywhere. We're going to be here long after the rebellion has been terminated. The, Lord, the earth is the Lord's. He determines its destiny, not men. 
The next insight Daniel offers is essentially and especially important. It wouldn't be a stretch to suggest it is indispensable for believers who want to maintain confidence in God when they're in an environment where evil is escalating, an environment like the one we find ourselves in. Daniel's stories and visions remind us that God often grants evil the appearance of control, the appearance of control. To make it clear, only he is fit to rule his creation. In other words, if Lucifer and fallen humanity fancy themselves better suited to govern than God, and both of them do, well, God will allow them ample opportunity to back up their claims and show that they're bogus. Now, it's fair to ask, why would God do that? Why not just end the rebellion immediately? What does God hope to gain? Who is God trying to convince? And what's he trying to convince them of? Well, those are fair questions. And years ago, I read a renowned theologian who suggested an answer to questions like that. He began with a question of his own. He said, after Jesus returns, what's to prevent another rebellion by the angels of heaven. After all, a third of the angels of heaven rebelled against God following Lucifer's lead at a time when the creation was perfect. He went on to ask the question, what's to prevent another human rebellion like that of Adam and Eve, which took place in a paradise where there was no death and no injustice, and no sin, and no sickness, and no aging, and no crime, and no tragedies, and no traumas in the world of nature. What's to prevent it from all happening again? And if I was going to paraphrase his answer, I would paraphrase it this way, the ugliness of human history. Let me unpack that. You remember Shakespeare said, all the world's what? A stage. And I suspect that's true in ways we've never before appreciated. The world is a stage upon which the long-running drama of Lucifer's rebellion and humanity's rebellion is playing out before two audiences, the family of man, humanity, and the angels of heaven. And one of the closing acts of that long-playing drama will be the reign of the Antichrist, Satan's counterfeit substitute Messiah. It will be Lucifer's best and brightest opportunity to back up his boasts, to prove his contentions, to show his credentials and his stuff. But instead of ushering in the peace that he will promise to a world weary of war and desirous of peace, his reign will prove to be nothing more than an extension of his arrogance. It will usher in unspeakable suffering, unspeakable cruelties, a holocaust unlike anything prior that will demonstrate that only God is fit to rule his creation. Only God can produce and sustain the peace the creation and our hearts long for. And I suspect when the reign of the Antichrist comes to its inevitable conclusion, 
From that point forward, the idea of rebellion against God will never again be appealing, not to redeem humanity, not to the angels of heaven. I suspect the idea will be laughable in both heaven and earth. And that aligns beautifully with God's desire that we love Him and serve Him and obey Him because we're convinced of His love and goodness, not because we've been coerced by His power. Another insight in plain sight during the events that Daniel foresaw will be the realization that the existence of judgment and hell are ultimately expressions of God's love. Justice surgery and chemotherapy and radiation are the expression of an oncologist loving opposition to cancer in the human body. Now, let's be honest. It's hard for us to see judgment, hell, God's love in the same sentence. It's hard for us to put them in the same sentence. When the topics of judgment and hell come up, we find ourselves secretly hoping somebody will change the conversation. We struggle to reconcile judgment with a loving God. Though I'd remind you, you don't have to reconcile them because you don't have to reconcile friends. And while I suspect that the increasingly ugliness in our culture, the increasing ugliness that accompanies our culture's increasing hostility towards God might be slowly nudging us in the direction of seeing judgment and hell differently, of having an appreciation for the fact that belief and unbelief cannot peaceably coexist, and that unbelief is far more than just a rejection of a philosophy. Unbelief, according to Scripture, is hatred of God. It's not just a different opinion. It's hatred of God. Scripture says the natural, unredeemed mind is hostile towards God. It hates Him and His laws. It doesn't understand his nature. It wants to be free of him. It doesn't even want to hear him referenced in conversation. I saw a woman holding a sign at a demonstration in California recently that said, Keep God out of California. And while that seems to be a, an exaggerated statement, it really isn't if you understand spiritual reality. The natural mind is at odds with God. And as we see the rejection of God increasing and see the ugliness that that leads to, I suspect God is nudging us in the direction of seeing why judgment is necessary. But if we have any doubts... The seven-year reign of terror under the Antichrist will dissolve our difficulties very, very, very quickly. When we see evil for what it really is, we will then say, how could a loving God not put an end to this? How could a loving God not judge this? Remember something Paul told us. 
God is currently restraining the evil in this world. When his restraints are removed, and they one day will be, then the world will see evil for what it is. You look at all of the evil in our world currently, and God is restraining. Imagine when God removes his restraining hand and says, have at it, go for it, do what you want. And God has said during the reign of the Antichrist, that's exactly what he'll do. He'll remove his restraint. That will pave the way for the Antichrist's power. And then people will see evil for what it is, demonic, degrading, destructive, dehumanizing. But those who have the insight God has placed in plain sight don't need to wait for that day. They can know those things now. A final insight that Daniel puts in plain sight is this. Fallen humanity corrupts every good thing it touches. Have you noticed that? It takes things like sexuality that God intended to be our good servants, and it makes them bad masters. And one of the things that humanity has corrupted is the dominion that God gave humanity over the earth. When God said have dominion, it was a divine commission to lovingly and carefully steward the creation for the benefit of all humanity. But fallen humanity turns dominion into the pursuit of domination. And the pursuit of domination brings the death of compassion. I want to say that again because I believe we're witnessing it in our culture. Fallen humanity turns dominion into the pursuit of domination, and the pursuit of domination brings the death of compassion. We see that in Daniel's progressive visions. Each empire revealed to him was more cruel and less compassionate than the one that preceded it. The first of those four strange animals that represented the four empires was given a human heart, but the next three were increasingly brutal. And the fourth and final one that symbolized a historic empire and the coming reign of the Antichrist, while it had the eyes of human intelligence, it showed no trace of compassion whatsoever. Now, I say we're witnessing this dynamic in our country because it's left and right contend for domination. The dialogue is becoming increasingly vicious, and it's hard to find any compassion or respect. And that's why responsible political participation, something Daniel practiced, should never give way to undiscerning political passion. What do I mean? There's something horribly wrong when the people of God demonstrate more passion for the politics of the temporary Babylon in which they're living than they show for the kingdom of God in which they're going to live forever. When believers can sit in worship gatherings... But you bring up politics, oh, and they are awake, and they are ready, baby. Bring it. Something's horribly wrong. Something's horribly wrong. You see, God and God alone deserves our best and deepest 
passions. And to give something else, especially when that something else are the efforts of people bound up in sin, seeking to gain and hold domination over others. That amounts to idolatry. I've said before, your ultimate passions are the ones that you would divide over. And when believers whose ultimate passion should be love for God, love for neighbor, and their love for one another as eternal brothers and sisters, when believers divide over American 21st century sick politics, something is horribly wrong. Something is horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. There is idolatry in the house. God alone deserves our best passions, not a human leader, not a political party, not a political movement, not a political platform, not fallen humanity's efforts to dominate one another. If you dig too deeply there, you'll see the death of compassion in your own heart. You'll begin to see people who disagree with you as the enemy rather than victims of the ultimate entity, enemy and candidates for God's loving salvation. Earlier in our study, I suggested God gave Daniel and us a glimpse of the future because God knows where his people are concerned. Certainty about final outcomes is the key to trust in the uncertainties of the moment. Daniel's final chapters, the insights they offer, assure us of final outcomes. This is how it's going to end. They reveal the precise point at which the Antichrist will end his charade of peace and reveal his true intentions. They reveal the exact number of years he'll be permitted, permitted to rule the world. And they reveal his certain end. And the believers going through intense suffering during those days, knowing that what they are experiencing was prophesied by God centuries and centuries early, will be able to hold on to their devotion, refuse compromise, and hold on to their confidence because they'll understand this. My closing point, God is allowing evil to escalate on the way to its eternal defeat. God is allowing the evil in the world to, in essence, burn itself out. To prove itself wrong. To prove itself bogus. To prove itself demonic. So that in the restored world to come, nobody will ever seriously suggest, might we do better than following God? <laughs> After the Antichrist, those words will never, ever again be heard. And I, I love the thought of living in a world where that'll never be heard. See, Daniel puts those insights in plain sight so that we can shine. What did Jesus say centuries later to his people? You are the light of the world. 
When everything is getting dark, people who have insight shine brightly. They bear witness to what's really going on. They bear witness to the character of God. They bear witness to the authority of Scripture. The unbelieving, they don't understand what's happening. So they just keep investing in things that have never given a good return. Which of those two groups do you fall into? The answer is the one you've chosen to belong to. If you've chosen to reject the words and the invitations of Jesus, then you fall into the category of those who do not understand. If you have chosen by God's grace to place your faith in Jesus, you fall into the category of those who have insight and shine. If you're in the former category, God desperately wants to move you into the latter category. But he never bludgeons, he only invites. See, there are only two two groups of people in this room, saints and ain'ts. There's no middle ground in Scripture. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. Well, Jesus, I'm not for you, but I'm just not against you. No, Jesus said, you're either for him or against him. No middle ground. Don't create a third category when Jesus doesn't allow for one. But if you're in the party of those who are against him and would like to become those who are for him, he's here right now to do that for you. So as we close, would you please erect a place of prayer in your spirit where God knows your every thought? And if you feel ready, if not, fine, but if you feel ready to embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and turn over the governance of your life to somebody who's actually equipped for it, then simply pray this prayer in the quietness of your heart because, again, God knows your every thought. He always has. Simply say to him something akin to this, Jesus, I confess I've lived my life without you. I have sinned against you. I want to see that changed. I believe Jesus died and rose again. I believe he did it so I could be restored. Restore me, O God. Set me free from darkness. Bring me into your love and your light. I confess Jesus as my Lord. And I want to follow him the rest of my life. Grant me that new birth you promised. In Jesus' name. And Father, I want to pray for anybody who reached out to you today. They may not know it, but they caused a party in heaven. Because Jesus said, every time one person steps into the kingdom, the angels party. And they party hardy. Father, I pray that those who have called upon you would have the assurance that your Holy Spirit brings that they have stepped over the threshold from darkness into light. And now they'll begin to understand what you've known all along and what you wanted them to know. Help them to find a place where your truth is preached without compromise, whether it's here or in their community, closer to their home, wherever. Help them to grow, and Lord, help them to gossip the gospel and be contagious carriers of truth. And Father, I pray that 
as believers, our first passions would always be yours, yours alone, and that as evil escalates towards its final end, that with discernment we'll go forward without compromise in Jesus' name. Amen.